Hey there, my name is Milan Singh and I'm the host of SpyFi After Dark. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode and to ask that if you enjoy the show, consider rating or subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. That's all for me. Now on to the episode. It's like a diesel BMW. <laughs> what was that zero to 100 <laughs> yeah oh, here this is a tesla out how long it is now check this out tesla <laughs> <laughs> oh my god dude i'm gonna have too many blooper clips <laughs> You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark podcast. Welcome back to SpyFi After Dark. This is going to be episode eight. I'm here with Alex. Say hello. What's up? So this episode is going to be a announcement episode and a meta episode, if you will. Meta being we're talking about the thing we're doing. So season one of SpyFi After Dark will be 10 episodes in total. And we'll conclude in two weeks from when this is posted. Yeah, because then 9 and 10. After that, Alex is going to become the co-host of the show and will be on most episodes. And we'll probably do some, just us, when we don't have someone to bring in. Um, So we're still kind of figuring that out, but I figured today would be a good time to look back on the podcast so far like the what's what's been going well what where we can improve our kinds of our thoughts on how we want to move this forward um and maybe some of the history of you know because we start we talked about starting a podcast years ago and only recently did right finally very true pull the trigger and do it definitely um so yeah i figured we'd talk about that kind of stuff and sort of go from there i can i can start uh so Millen and I um, were really intrigued with the idea of starting a podcast maybe three years ago. Um, it's just one of those things where you have an idea um, and it sounds fantastic, but just because of the, you know, whether it's some kind of financial barrier to entry or whatever, it doesn't happen. Um, so I think it was it, a time and location barrier. Yeah, time, right? location. We didn't really know how to start um, either. And um, we had some ideas here and there. And everything was more or less uh, premature and unbaked. But that idea was always um, on the back burner. And um, it would resurface in conversation you know, all the time uh, when Milan and I would hang out. Because we really liked the idea of doing it. Um, and it's kind of a cool concept because not only is it a creative um project in and of itself but it's also it also serves as a platform for other uh potential ventures that you know here i would want to want to do so it serves as like a catalyst as well um just for getting yourself out there um so that was kind of a cool concept um anyway millen ended up biting the bullet putting the money down and setting up um the podcast space, mm-hmm. which was 
awesome. And a little home studio action. Right. So he's got the setup here um, at his place, and he told me, like, hey, you know, I'm, um, I'm going to put this all together at my place. I'm going to learn audition. I think you audition was new I, at the I time. I kind of knew it. Okay, so you you had some inform- you had some um I some had, experience I had, with it. I have quite a bit of production background in general. Okay. Mostly in film, but obviously audio is a component of film. Right. Right. So he got that started and then just to um take things slow and 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 go on the safe route, Millen invited um Frank, a mutual friend, which you all know, and myself on so we could do some test runs. Um, it's easier for the three of us to converse and be able to quickly uh, come up with to- different topics and maintain like a somewhat fluid conversation amongst the three of us because um, Millen and myself, I mean, we, we don't have a you know, former experience um, with something like this, and uh, it's it's kind of it's more difficult than than mm-hmm. he and I thought. You know, I mean, you watch podcasts and you know YouTube channels and such on you know online or wherever, and it looks easy because of just you know the, what you're watching is a distillation of practice and yeah, and, they're professionals. Yeah, and social talent that you don't really understand um, until you try it for yourself, and that applies to more things than than you know creating your own podcast but anyway so we've had a few uh episodes Millen and I together um or with with Frank and he's had um other guests on as well I think every episode um every episode has been uh unique as they should be right um and obviously, there are areas for improvement, um, kind of across the board. But there's been a steady sign of progression, and um, I do think that, especially the, the with the last few episodes, um, I can say that with trying to be as impartial as possible, I would imagine that those episodes are enjoyable and interesting for um, an audience outside of our immediate, you know friend space because obviously that's another challenge with a podcast is that you want to start um somewhere and your baseline would be your peers Mm -hmm. your peers get you your peers know how to communicate with you and vice versa well you're not going to start a podcast and have you know actors on in the first week yeah and that's the thing with with and and we can jump we can jump there and then go back but like think about actors think about professionals that have some kind of notoriety. The work is done for them regarding the, their ability to be impressionable on the audience. And the work ends up being done for the host because the host just needs to be informed to some degree of his own guest, his or her own guest. And from there, you have all of the fundamentals to you know just make some enjoyable content for the audience versus in a situation like this Millen is new as a host and in his guests whom would be most likely his friends are people who are also new as guests they're new not only are they new as guests and they don't have thousands of twitter followers thank you they may or may not have the and wikipedia pages yeah they don't have the notoriety they don't necessarily have the outreach right and then on top of that um they're new to your point as guests. So like when we're in this space here, let's, let's just say, you know, Frank and I are here at Millen's, um, you know, Millen's studio here. Uh, we're going to be talking to each other and conversing on a normal level, meaning that, you know, the 
the um, nonverbal communications and cues and just subtle behavior patterns that we have together, that's not going to be captured in a podcast, even though that's how we act with each other. And the reason why is because our baseline is just conversing. That's why we thought a podcast would be relatively straightforward. As long as you can have meaningful conversations, it should be good content for the audience, right? Well, yes, but at the same time, the delivery is so important. The delivery is a very, very um, complicated filter, if you will, uh, because Millen and I, we know, we know, he and I, that we've had meaningful conversations. They're meaningful because they're meaningful to us. We both value them. Now, mm-hmm. you have to and th- some of them, I'd say, would be meaningful to audiences. Right, and, but we need to understand that the audience is taking our word for it only. They're not there with us. Yeah. So trying to bring them with us just through the means of verbal communication, regardless of whom they are, because the whole idea of having a successful podcast is being able to reach out to people who may or may not be have reached out back to you, right? You're you're talking to potentially hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and you may not know them, so, but you have to intrigue them. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just, it's a unique challenge, and you know we're we're getting there. Millen's becoming a, a, a better and better host, literally with 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 every new installment. Um, I think because he's learning that, and uh, you know. I've, I feel like I'm, I'm becoming a better um, guest and I think and I bring, di- and now host, because I think I bring different and complimentary things to the table. Well, yeah, we definitely got that yin and yang going on. Right. Millen and I, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're, we're best friends, but we're not very similar behaviorally. But if we can like kind of use that to our advantage, collectively, we'd be good hosts and be able to one um, think of ways to keep it uh, a conversation very very uh, interesting for the audience because we have we have different thoughts on doing so, and we have good chemistry with each other. So with any of those like awkward they call them, like cocktail moments in conversation where I don't, I don't know if the audience is aware everyone of everyone takes a drink or something. Yeah, it's a theory that like like in in every like five or seven increment. Um, spans of time in a, in a normal like social circle uh people will awkwardly like Positive do things like drink. like take a drink just because the That's conversation it dies right but, but okay. in that moment you and i can literally just bounce off each other yeah i've definitely experienced that that makes a lot of right sense. you'll you'll notice it. it happens like in every yeah um so that's I mean, the idea so I'll, I'll say that for me there was always going to be an experimentation phase with this because i knew coming into it i was pretty comfortable on the production side but with the actual mechanics of doing a podcast, right. talking for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, and making it a meaningful and interesting conversation without any context, like that's a skill. And I didn't necessarily have that. I knew there was going to be an experimentation phase. I didn't know how long that was going to be. Now, it ends up we're basically saying the first 10 episodes are the experimentation phase. It's kind of where we're putting the line. In truth, there'll probably still be some experimentation for the first handful in season two, you know, the first five or 10 in season two. And, you know, we'll see how long season two ends up being. Um, But I think I certainly feel a lot more confident in the platform and in speaking in the platform. And I've made a lot of improvements on the production side during the season two. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I mean, obviously it started out being decent. I didn't put out anything that wasn't good. I don't think, uh, because I 
I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I don't really allow myself to do that. But as we've gone through the, um, the diversity of mixing has gotten better. I've started adding in little mid rolls and little breaks, um, a more complicated intro sequence, clipping out different clips and uploading them, doing custom video graphic, uh, stuff like that. So like that has progressed steadily as well in the background. Um, so I, I just, I feel like this is a good, we're, we're at a pretty good place to start thinking about where we're going to take this moving forward. Cause obviously we want to talk to people with more Twitter followers, more notoriety, not for the sake of notoriety, but because these are probably the most interesting people to talk to Yes, on a platform like this and people who are more experienced at having these kinds of conversations again with no context. Exactly. So they'll it, have the eminence. So yeah. And I mean, I, experimentation phase, we can, t- I can talk with my friends and treat them like those people basically. And that's how you practice. And you also, um, since we get, you know, once we get to 10 episodes, we're in like the top 1% of podcasts ever produced. So most of them don't get past episode one. And then most of the ones that get past episode one, don't get past episode five or 10. So if we hit 10, like we're already top 1%, you know, of all the podcasts that have ever been produced. So there's a certain amount at some point you've done enough episodes that people just have to take you seriously. They don't really have a choice because you've put in the work and it's pretty obvious. And again, each episode, um, you know, has some, um, some good quality, you know? Yeah. So not only do they have to take you seriously because of the fact that you've been able to keep it going, but I mean, I would say that, that there's some good work behind each and every one too. So, and again, yeah, I've, I've been able to, to see this, you know, with my own eyes that, we started off with um, with just an audio recording, and Millen's been able to take it, you know, to the next next level with editing and just becoming smarter and more creative with everything, and then um, also adding graphics. And um, I think I think it's it's turning into something pretty awesome. Um, and on again, I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna add to what Milan had talked about regarding bringing guests with more notoriety. One challenge that we've had initially with these, with the first eight episodes, well, seven, including eight, if you include this one, is just, you know, invoking um, interest in the audience um, with people that, that they don't know um, anything about. So, um, and I think we've been doing a pretty good job with just bringing up topics that, have uh, a reach and then trying to go in depth on those topics. Um, it, it'd be pretty interesting to see if we can bring some more guests, you know, to the table with very, very unique experiences. Um, I have no idea where this podcast can go, but I'm, I'm pretty excited because right now we've kind of kept it a little more generic because again, to Millen's point, it's experimental. We're just some friends have come on and we've talked about things that are, with intent more relatable to our uh, uh, perceived audience, but we don't. I mean, from this point on, and as it as this podcast you know continues to progress, we don't know what these episodes are going to look like. So it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is probably a good opportunity to talk about sort of the vision of the podcast, I agree. if you will. Yeah. Um, thus far, I categorize the podcast. A number of the, not every episode, but 
majority of the episodes I'd say is like discussions about movies and TV and like popular culture and stuff that we're all interested in, which is great. And it's good practice stuff we can talk a lot about, but, um, my vision for the podcast moving forward. And this is, uh, this is a big part of what season two is going to start pushing, uh, is, um, one sec here. Um, is to talk to like creative people. Right. Uh, you know, the whole goal here is to create a platform where I talk to people that I find to be creatively inspiring. Um, and we're somewhat limited in the fact that we're in Phoenix, Arizona. So there's not necessarily a wide array of people like that per se. You know, this is in Los Angeles. Right. If it was Los Angeles, it would be pretty easy. You won't you won't incidentally run into handfuls of people like this wherever and regardless of where you go. You'd have to like with intent try and find these people in Arizona. Yeah, because like if I was in LA, let's say, I could just go out to like any Starbucks. Yeah. And anyone who has a laptop open just say, "Hey, are you a screenwriter?" Yeah. Have you finished a script? Sure. You want to go on my podcast? It's like Exactly. You know, that's uh, there's so much available to you in that space, but we don't live there because it's prohibitively expensive and we were born here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, at least for me, the job opportunities are not as good there in tech. They're, they're there, but they don't pay much. But it's not, it's not here, scaled. So I'd be losing money. If yeah, I it's not there. scaled. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll find, there still are people like that in Phoenix. I still know a handful. Um, Chris, who's been on the podcast a few times and will be on for episode 10, which we already recorded, um, knows a number of them. Uh, he actually has a very wide network, by the way. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, I uh, went to college with him. Yeah. He did then, too. So. He's, a, he's, he's a really interesting dude. He goes to all the comic cons. He's met a bunch of celebrities. Yeah. Crazy life experiences, that's for sure. Yeah, he's... Uh, I feel like that's that's something he prides himself um, in um, networking. Sure, I mean I would. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, we know some people. I think that will that will work for that thesis, uh, and we'll we'll find them and we'll have them on. We'll probably people on multiple times. You know, we'll do what we got to do, and at some point when this is big enough, and I say when because it's going to be at some point, um, I'll probably go to L.A. and record five podcasts in three days or whatever, you know, get a bunch of content and come back. And that's, that's our podcast for the next month, two months. Uh, and we can sprinkle in those kinds of people. And, and especially because my setup is mobile more or less, you know, I'm on a laptop. The actual audio recording gear is pretty small. There's not like 2000 wires. All of these components are pretty portable. Yeah. I can unmount yeah. the arms and move them. The primary setup is, you're right, is you just need a tabletop, your laptop. The yeah. rest the rest of the primary setup is pretty, yeah, pretty mobile. Yeah, so. I just need a place to anchor anchor the arms on, mm-hmm. a table of some kind, and then seating around it. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I think, I personally think this is going places in the future. Um, I mentioned this in episode 10 when I talked to Chris, but I think it is kind of interesting that I think I'm doing this backwards to an extent, like doing a podcast first. I have this philosophy that... Yes, once you've made it, you podcast. Yeah, the yeah. podcasts are for doubling down on your audience. Mm-hmm. So you build an audience and then you already have a bunch of people who 
that's I'm because, really interested in you and will listen to you for an hour. That's because and it, that's when you launch a podcast. Well, that, yeah, that's because it's it's more difficult to do it the other way around to exactly. do it, to do it this way. Yeah. Again, yeah. So, but for me, it's more difficult in terms of audience, but it's less difficult in terms of production, and in terms of um, just doing it. Like building an audience is really difficult, but making a podcast is not actually that hard at least for me, because I had enough production background that that stuff wasn't an obstacle for me. Right. It's, it's obviously an obstacle for most people, but in my case, the, that barrier, which is the primary barrier for most was not there. So, so it was pretty easy for me to start. Yeah. Easy to start for you. And there's very minimal editing. It doesn't cost me a bunch of time to do this. So. Plus the, uh, I will say that, you know, uh, just keeping it audio probably makes it a lot easier as yeah, well yeah i have briefly looked into adding video but it's uh i don't know how to do it yet there a lot of cameras have like built-in things to stop recording after 30 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. so yeah, i'd have to find cameras that are built to allow you to continuously record and to record to an external device instead of record to the cameras to oh the yeah sd chip or whatever yeah something that can record straight into uh, probably some kind of a video interface, which then gets plugged into a computer. But see, and then that like really adds to the complexity of the production and would also probably make the setup a lot less mobile, if I were to guess. Yeah, I'd imagine. Plus, ideally, then you'd also need another person with you to be hitting the video switches mm-hmm. to switch between angles. Because as far as I know, no one has developed a way to just have the ankles switch automatically based on the levels, audio levels coming in, which seems like it should be doable. I was about to say, that's actually kind of a smart idea. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if that exists. I know it exists in certain programs, like when you're on like a WebEx or whatever, it kind of does that automatically. But I don't know if someone has that as a standalone product for your own custom video inputs into like an interface. Mm. I'm not aware of it because most people just have someone. Most people who run podcasts with video have someone there to hit the switches. Right. Or they just have one angle, which is fine too. Which is fine. Boring, but fine. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it's fine. I guess you could also, yeah, there's a few ways you could do it. You could do it the really inefficient way and have multiple angles constantly and then edit. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, edit like you know uh, manually. You could like flip. yeah, no, yeah, that's that, ridiculous. That would be it takes so much time. Exactly, you could foot pedal it. Maybe come up with a system for <laughs> you. <laughs> See, but then you'd have to be, you'd have to like know that instinct. Yeah, I know. You know, it'd <laughs> be ridiculous. He's so dumb. <laughs> it's like delayed cuts every time. Yeah, and you hear the clicking. <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <clears throat> wow uh yeah so the, the other thing video does open up too is then you can have stuff on a screen to like react to and like pipe that in somehow so i don't know whatever it does sound it. more complicated you know and again i uh, uh i do think that you're you're on to something um regarding um like doubling down in your audience with a podcast, maybe once this um, once this platform kind of progresses to like a larger you know a larger thing, maybe you throw in 
video then. Yeah, that's probably how it'll go. Yeah, so. For now, there's really no point. Right, exactly. Um, okay, well, let's do, uh, I guess we could, we've kind of already hit the vision here. I think it's pretty clear. I agree. I will say that uh, you and I do have, we don't have to go into any details, um, we'll spare the audience, but I also think that you and I have a potential lineup of friends that would bring, um, you know, different, um, different elements to, the upcoming episodes it just depends on you know how we want to do it and how we want to sequence these guests um and and how we want to take the podcast because to your point like we've we've been um more generic and safer with the content that we're providing to the audience um and that's i think it's you know it's primarily due to just whom you've invited and then also just the fact that this is uh, experimental and you're trying to get comfortable with your own, with your own, um, with your own content creation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk about, we could get uh, more into, um, the political space because of your interests and, um, just knowledge base there. Mm -hmm. Um, we could talk about, um, you know, a number of guests, personal experiences, you know, including like travel and what it, what it means to, you know, go through, you know, X and Y kind of, um, you know, struggles with, uh, becoming a U.S. citizen, um, going through, you know, racial discrimination. Um, we have a friend that is very, very heavily inve invested in his, um, um, in his religion. We haven't brought up any of these more, uh, I guess you could call them provocative, provocative, uh, um, ideas or subject matters. And it kind of just depends also on the audience and what they want. And again, uh, what, what our vision is and how we want to take, uh, the podcast. But, well, I would say that the, the audience and what they want plays more into as you get bigger. Like at this point, we don't really have a statistically relevant audience. So I think we kind of have to stick to a vision that we believe in until we have a statistically relevant audience. Yeah, we're not really, we we're not really influenced externally yet. Yeah, yeah. You're right. True. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, the one thing I did want to add is that we will be taking a short break in between seasons one and two. Okay. Um, I'm thinking two or three weeks haven't fully decided yet. Uh, if you want to know when that will be, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Millen Tweets. I'll let you know how that goes. Um, but we are taking a short break to regroup and look through all the details of what we're talking about today, basically. Go through our network, figure out who'd be worth bringing on and scheduling out episodes. Um, and preferably scheduling out episodes, you know, even months in advance. A month or two in advance. Smartest thing to do. Um, because that will help with consistency. And it means that if someone is unavailable, um, it won't hurt us as badly. Right. The idea is for with just with any kind of social media or, you know, content creation, you uh, a release cadence is generally very, very important to the audience. Yeah, and so, we, we don't have to do this live. 
so we can bank up a few episodes. That's a good point too. I don't think I'd ever want to be banking up more than four or five at most. A month? That's like at extreme most. Like banked up, like that we haven't released Oh, yet. banked up. Oh, okay, yeah. Got it. Um, I think probably ideally one to three at any given time. That way, if someone drops out last minute, we still have an episode to drop in. Mm. We can push another guest a little further forward if they want to come in earlier or what have you. Um, but yeah, so we're basically going to take a break to go over all these details and particularly to look through our networks and say, who can we bring on? Who'd be a good guest? Yeah. What would we talk about with them and just start reaching out and, and doing that process? Cause there's going to be a lot of work involved in, in making that happen. And then I think we'll also talk about creatively, like the direction and the flow of the show, like moving forward and come up with new ways to prepare and come to come to these episodes just better prepared because like like i said this has been in the experimental phase for me so i've come into episodes generally without doing much prep if any prep at all because i'm just talking to people I already know you know on top of it you're you have had intent regarding um whom you're bringing and why you're bringing them but it's been to a lesser degree. So you brought close friends because they're your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying we're not going to bring friends, but as we progress and become more comfortable with the podcast, we may want to talk about specific things with specific people and go in depth with some organization and collection of thought preemptively, um, because we actually want to have direction with the conversation and kind of take the audience, you know, on a journey with us versus, you know, to Millen's point, I mean, previous i mean i mean up until until then it's been primarily experimental uh because we're just trying to get comfortable with what we're doing so yeah and then the friend episodes will become the infrequent but special episodes that everyone looks forward to yeah i like that idea because that's the whole behind the scenes you know yes once we become celebrities and everyone thinks we're untouchable you know yeah like like, like, we want to see the human side candid buffers yeah. Yeah. It's called slogs. <laughs>
These are just like a few that I listen to. Yeah, I mean, I would. I wouldn't necessarily want to do talk shows so much, you know, like Fallon and whatnot. Um, I do Corden. I do Corden's show because I love James Corden. Um, for sure, that would be on. That's my on my list. But regarding talk shows, I'd probably only do Graham Norton and Graham Norton could be cool. Yeah. Also, it wouldn't be as terrifying because you're not true. You're not the only guest. True. You know what I mean? Well, uh, most of them, there's. Well, I shouldn't say that. Corden usually has multiple guests. He does, but I think, I guess with the the general big talk shows that I've seen, um, it's usually one to two guests. But with oh, Graham, really? he, he yeah he he can somehow manage five plus people. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah. that's a skill right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Celebrity activities. I'd just like to meet a lot of people, you know. It would be fantastic to... But for me, the ones I'm most interested in meeting are generally more of like the writers, the directors, like the behind-the-scenes creative people. Those are the people I'm the most interested in meeting, generally. With the exception exceptions being like Nathan Fillion or um, I guess you'd consider Christopher Nolan... Like a celebrity at this point, even though he is a writer director. Um, Scarlett Johansson would be fun. Uh, maybe even like Terry Crews, that would be pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you'd want Dwayne to... the Rock Johnson. Oh, of course, any man himself, yeah, right? Jesus reincarnated. Um, Mark Ruffalo for you. I'd oh imagine. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'd be for you, that. would be. No, I agree. I mean, uh, I would love to meet celebrities and or people in that space who just like reek of talent. Fair. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where you're getting at. That's too. pretty much. Yeah. That's, where you're, that's where you're getting at. So just intellectualism, it has, you know, and all of its appeal when you meet, you know, when you meet writers and, and anyone in that craft with just so mm-hmm. much talent, it's, it's fantastic. All you want to do is just, Absorb everything and just listen and, yeah. you know, just, yeah. So, and it's something you can't really do every day. I mean. Yeah. Even for me, like prominent game developers would be on that list too. Um, yeah. Showrunners. The, the whole nine. And I actually think it would be, I don't think it would be terribly diff. I don't think you'd have to have that much celebrity to be able to talk to a lot of these people, particularly like behind the scenes, creative people. Do you mean to, to reach them or to be able to maintain meaningful conversation for them or both? Or what did you mean by that? Mm, because yeah, talk- both, but particularly to reach them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Fair enough. Cause they're not, they're not necessarily that big per se glorified, you yeah. know, like the writers of the dark Knight. They're not, they don't have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. You know, they have maybe a few thousand, probably probably less than 10,000, mm-hmm. realistically. Um, there might be some exceptions. Like I said, like Christopher Nolan is an exception. Mm-hmm. But like the other writers who worked with him on The Dark Knight? Probably not. Could definitely, probably spin that, could definitely spin that off to our advantage. Yeah. Because I do think that like proof of concept is only becoming more and more interesting for things like a podcast, you know what I mean? Like we've all, I think been, I don't want to say desensitized, but we've all had the opportunity to just 
see and watch and hear celebrities just have fun and talk shop and everything in between. But take like any movie with a lot of notoriety and respect, right? I think at this point, in this day and age, like I wouldn't be surprised if hundreds of thousands of people wanted to listen to a two to three hour podcast about the making of that movie. Exactly. That's where we're at that's, now. That's it's what hot. I was. Exactly. I know. That's I know. What I was getting at. I know this you're getting like, at that. That's, imagine, imagine doing a two-hour podcast with the showrunners of your favorite TV show. Yeah. Like if I talk to the showrunners of Chuck, right? There's this huge audience of like several million people who are huge fans of that show, mm-hmm. myself included, and they would love a two-hour conversation about like what went into making Chuck. Yep. Exactly. Like how they had to pitch to the networks, like how they made the pilot, like the problems they came into, how the writer's room functioned, like that kind of stuff is so fascinating. And like I said, I think it's, I actually think it's really hot right now. I think proof of concept is very sexy when it comes to uh, like a platform like this. So, yeah. And again, to kind of spin off from this tangentially related, I think it's also a great way to produce independent projects. Because the biggest problem with an independent project is how do you monetize it, right? I think one of the best ways is to create a high-quality behind-the-scenes making of and use that as a premium add-on, basically. So, like, if you produce a web series and you just go straight to YouTube, you're not making any money on YouTube. Exactly. You're making literally nothing. Right. You know, if it gets if it gets a million views, you're making maybe $1,000 and probably less than that. Yeah. Um, but if you sold it as a download and first of all, you sell it as a bingeable download. So that first week comes out and you can watch the whole thing right away. That's selling point number one. And then if you also bundle it with like a 30 minute behind the scenes documentary, you know, or mini doc or whatever documentary style production, which maybe adds another five or $10,000 to your budget that can be a really big marketable asset for selling, selling the show. Mm-hmm. And then people pay $15 for the season because they get to see how it played out. Mm-hmm. Also the whole behind the scenes, like, um, you know, compilation or whatever you want to call it, like as a package is a great way to, um, crowdfund or market your, yes. your you know, market your content, um, for a crowdfunding space. Mm-hmm. That's your ad right there. To your point. Yeah, it's it's all that's another good point is it's also good marketing. That's what I'm you so. can do a abridged version of it or like a vlog style version of it. And yeah. You basically have content marketing right. done. So so yeah, a hundred percent. And these are things because like we're working on a web series. Um and we have creative aspirations, stuff we want to make. These are things that I'm certainly considering in a practical sense of like if we're actually going to do it and invest X amount of dollars in it, like we should treat it seriously and try to make it profitable if we can. And so I'm thinking about these, these things as means of marketing and and selling the show. Definitely. Definitely. It's difficult. You know, I, I, I didn't know like what, what really goes into um, a, a project like this. And, you know, Millen having just a high regard for, for, um, you know, high quality production, you know, he and I have been just bouncing off each other back and forth and we know 
to make this work, this web series work, we would need to spend, you know, X amount of dollars. And, you know, on the one hand, uh, yes, we do want to, um, uh, potentially make this profitable, um, and, and, and continue to create content that we love. Uh, on the other hand, um, we do realize now too, that there is no other way we would want to, to move forward with, you know, content creation, then try to do it as best as we can. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's good working with Millen and, um, being able to just brainstorm, put things together because he wants to always execute at like a very, very high level of quality. So, yeah. And, um, even, even a relatively low scale project, it's quite expensive. That's what I'm, yeah. I didn't want to like actually get into the nitty gritty of, of how we've, um, foreseen like the budget of this project. But yeah, I did not expect like a micro in, I mean, I'm like, I don't want to micro web series, you know, I mean, we anticipate a 15 to 20 minute, um, let's say, say about eight, 15 minute episodes. There right? you go. Yeah. So, I mean, even that, which is pretty, I mean, pretty small, um, is is becoming yeah we're still looking at potentially like forty thousand yeah very expensive on paper so so that's that's a lot it's challenging for some average folk to really put that together and to actually provide something that's not a piece of garbage and then to not only um put uh you know get that money together produce something that's actually of any quality make it profitable so that that same group of people can continue to do this. I mean, there's a reason why it's, it's rare and you don't, it's not really heard of. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there is a preponderance of content these days, but a lot of it's not that good. Exactly. And I think one of the things I have noticed is that there is an increased appetite for funding good content. And by funding, I mean, people actually paying for it. So it's kind of a side effect of like YouTube, you know, X millions of hours of YouTube videos are uploaded every day, but most of it's garbage. And so, and the algorithm can only do so much, right? People are seeking out good quality content mm -hmm. and when they find it, they're more willing to support it, particularly among like the top, say 20% who have a little bit of disposable income because they know that, they're they're starting to realize how expensive it is because people are talking about it mm -hmm. and being like you know if we don't if we don't make money on this we can't do it like <laughs> i can't drop $40,000 making a web series and not make anything back exactly like it would leave me broke exactly know? so i think people are becoming more knowledgeable about that and therefore there's more appetite for, mm, for making it happen Definitely. And putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, we all share that understanding that um, um, a lack of just a lack of financial means to to create high quality content is incredibly discouraging. Also, just makes the the venture impractical. So, yeah, I mean, forty thousand dollars is a lot for the two of us, yeah, even combined. But we're hoping to 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 make this work, and if all goes well. We could potentially profit off the project and just continue off either this series or um, tangentially start um, other projects that we have in mind or, mm -hmm. or a combination of the two. He and I are both very, very creative at heart. Um, 
you know, both full-time. Um, We're both creative people in full-time technical roles. Yeah, full-time technical roles. Uh, we're doing what we can to make a living, just like all of you listening. Uh, but, you know, it'd be fantastic to do what we want to do outside of work. So we still have quite a bit of time throughout the week um, to make something happen. So that's where we're putting our heads at currently. Yeah. I think in general, we will probably work together a lot more moving forward. Yeah. I think we've been friends for a long time now, you know, five, six years. Right. Uh, I think about five years or wait, is it six? I don't know if it's six. I thought it was It is six. That's crazy. This is 2013. It was fall 2013. That's right. So yeah, it's six years now. And <laughs> we've always talked about working together on projects and never done anything. Right. But now, now I think we're both in a place that's more stable and can actually can seriously consider it. I mean, I know I was not in a stable place until a year ago realistically right i mean you have your own place you have a setup um my schedule now is more predictable than it's ever been so that helps yeah um so So, and that's that's a side of anything financial yeah just regarding like our our weekly structure it's all changed for the better regarding being able to work together on projects Mm -hmm. so yeah and uh yeah, I think we do have a really good yin and yang going on. Definitely. I find that certainly when we're writing, I'm good at throwing out initial ideas and you're good at taking them and making them a lot better. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre because, you know, I'll talk to Millen like like any pair of friends, right? And and we get each other's jokes. Uh you know, we finish each other's sentences. So there's the whole like rubbing off effect of six years. But then like when it comes to a situation like this where we have ideas for a project, those idiosyncrasies, those like nuances that he has versus what I have, like what I possess, they come out because in normal conversation, you know, we, there's this, there's this, this mix of like that you know what i mean like his behavior my behavior have kind of blended and that's that's what you call friendship right but then when we put ourselves to work what makes millen millen and what makes myself myself kind of come out again does that make sense Mm -hmm. i find that interesting yeah you know what i mean you kind i don't want to say you inhibit yourself socially with your friends but like you know you 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 think at like an X level and that's generally brought down to like a, a a baseline with your friends because you're just talking, you're trying to be comfortable, you're trying to have a good time. And then when we talk shop, like suddenly like your skill sets come out and mine come out. You know what I mean? That's another exciting thing about working on something like this, you know, with friends. Like you understand who you're working with, um, but at the same time, like it's also just a like a really refreshing reminder, like why they're you know, why they're cool people. You know what I mean? So like working with, with Millen, even now, like at the kind of the preliminary state, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like he's got like a lot of ideas. He's very, um, just, uh, um, very, very inclined to be detail oriented at all times. And if I'm ever thinking kind of a little too abstractly, he can like ground me or like talking about uh, potential ideas and direction for a project like the web series. So he and I are like very, very different, but like 
it's cool that in this sense when we're working on this project, it kind of comes out and I can, you know, something I can appreciate. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, I think an idea for us takes like three phases, if you will. Like I throw out the initial idea, you throw out a counter, like, I don't, I don't want to say vague because it's not the best word, but I don't have a better word to use. Vague, yeah, sure. Um, a counter vague, uh, you know, different direction, if you will, or mm -hmm. different feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I translate that into a new idea. Yep. So that idea goes through those three phases to get to a final first draft idea, if you will. Yep. And then we'll see how the editing process goes, but I imagine it'll be pretty similar. Yeah. I mean, I think you generally have a good understanding of, um, let's just say this web series consists of eight episodes you can think of the storyline of episode one in context of two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And what I'll do is I'll not only give you potential ideas for like character development and just other things that you may not at the time be focused on because you're just trying to systematically develop like the the series itself like kind of like the, the bones the skeletal structure of the system of the the uh, the series but i'll also be able to pressure test all the bones of that spine that you put together i'm mm -hmm. very good at that too so it's like oh you know millen's like oh this is episode one and i want it to flow like this you know abc and that abc subset is important because c will be uh, crucial in episode two and episode two needs to be this way because by the time we get to episode five, we need to be at this point so that it makes sense to end at eight. And for me, it's like, okay, but I can like individually kind of pressure test and, and, um, and, and kind of play devil's advocate with the ideas that he's throwing my way. And on yeah. top of it, I can also expound, expound on ideas too. I'm very, very good at that. Yeah. So, like, like I'll go and I'll build this quaint little cabin with Lincoln logs you'll come through and smash it to pieces and give me a set of Legos. And I'll be like, thank you. This is way better. You know? Right. But I'll usually like forget like to have provided you enough Legos for like the roof. So you yeah. like Amazon that and like expedite or, shipping. Yeah, and you're like, all right. You're like, you almost, you almost completed it for me. All right. More, I guess more <laughs> accurate is you'd give me like a set of partially completed Lego pieces. Right. Right. That are like a bunch of Legos that make up a corner or whatever you know like or like a log or something like that and then i have like put them together i'm like wait but i'm missing like all these pieces and then fucking like chris swoops in with the delivery and <laughs> chris <laughs> oh man or frank or whatever yeah <laughs> yeah that's definitely a lot of fun i recommend you know, to those listening if you have any kind of just ideas or aspirations that may not seem to be relevant mm -hmm. um, when it comes to paying your bills <laughs> you always think to yourself look what where would I need to be financially to the point where I would not have to stress about the immediate um, responsibilities like paying my bills and supporting myself and or my you know boyfriend girlfriend family what have you so that I could take a step back self-reflect and start managing my time to start reinvesting back into me or myself. What I mean by this is being able to work on things that you, you thoroughly love and enjoy. And the answer is you may not have to think 
that you need to be in a position where you're financially free to start that. Yeah, because the best, the best way to put it is if you imagine what would you be doing if you if money was not a problem yes. in your life? If you didn't need to worry about the bills being paid, they were all taken care of, what would you spend your time on? Mm-hmm. And then just spend a little bit of your time on that. On that anyway. Exactly. You don't know yeah. where it's going to take you. Even for without, all you know, that thing that you love, you may have so much energy and passion for it potentially. That thing may may be the solution to you becoming yeah, successful. you may end up being financially independent because right. of it. Or even if you're not, you'll end up with really great memories what of did you, something you really What did you lose? Doing. Yeah, you what did you lose? Anything. You, just, uh, there's a, you lose, what, a few hours of Netflix? Like, Yeah, there's a higher chance that, you, that you'll regret you know, waiting for that time in your life when, um, you know, when you will feel like you are in a financial situation to start being able to, to, uh, you know, focus on those things and it never comes. That time never comes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, so I'm starting to learn that now. You know, I think, I think it's, it's an easy cop out to just say, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not in a place in my life where I can start doing that. I think if, I think, I think we all should potentially try to make time to do it. Yeah, even if you don't think you're a very creative person, just do something that seems interesting to you. I do think it's a muscle. Even if it's not, it doesn't even have to be like writing or anything like that. Like obviously, I think writing is a good outlet for a lot of people, but it's maybe not right for everyone. Even if it's not that, like just like learn another language, right? Or like, you know, go on Duolingo a little bit, you know, or... Um, build something with your hands, you know, get some like scrap wood and right. nails and just right. make something or get, whatever. Get a little. Or, or just go out and do like task rabbit making Ikea furniture for people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find building Ikea furniture to be very satisfying. It is very satisfying. Building anything is very satisfying. So just going out and, and making something, even if it has no inherent value whatsoever, even if it's like just writing some short stories that no one is going to read except for you and maybe your spouse or whatever, or your parents or whoever you'd want to share it with. If you want to share it with anyone, like just having done it is satisfying in itself. And you'll find that you will, you'll find that the time was worth spending to get that satisfaction. Yeah. And I can, and I can add on to that too. I mean, so where you work definitely matters. You want to be at least somewhat content with where you work and, and, and just regarding the work environment, what you do, you know, your aspirations, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, where you work uh, can only do so much for you. And although it's a big portion of your life, assuming you work a typical eight to 12 hour, you know, work day, um, Eight to twelve. Wait, yeah. right. Um, at the end of the day, there's still other. There's still more hours. There's still twenty four hours in a day, right? So, you can always find time to reinvest back in yourself because for the majority of us who do work, those hours and hours and hours every day, we're contributing to something that we don't own. We own the privilege to work, but we don't really own what we do, right? So. Let's just say you work a nine to five. It doesn't really matter. You come home, invest in yourself, start doing things that you can call your own, whether it be hobbies you develop, 
skill sets that you acquire over time, things you want to build, things you want to go do, just do them for yourself. And if they don't have an immediate uh, value, um, like a paycheck, well, at least there are things that you get to cherish as things that, 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 that you were able to do on your own, like little success stories for yourself also builds confidence. So like I've been trying to do that. Um, and I think because I've tried to do that outside of work here and there, I think incrementally I've looked at an opportunity to work with you on like a web series differently than even a year ago, Mm -hmm. because a year ago I thought, Oh, there's no way this is going to pan out and be worth it. But after working on a few things here and there, you know, you kind of build, it's like an actualization or realization. Oh, like it actually can happen. Oh, like you actually can do this and it is feasible. You really don't know what you don't know. Um, and also things always seem crazy until they're not. Um, so you know, to the audience, whatever you think would be a lot of fun, go do it. Just go to invest time. You won't be able to, to be incredibly successful in a day or even two days worth of time, but just start chipping away at something that you're interested in. I think it's very, very healthy to do that. And I think it's healthy to contribute to, um, you know, your own aspirations and, you know, things like that just outside of work. I do think work gives and takes away from people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a dangerous situation to be in. Yeah. To well, be com- and, and to be clear, I think this is becoming widely accepted for people who work just a regular job that's not maybe their passion. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they work a job because they're decent at it and they can make enough money to live on it. Yeah, but uh, they don't inherently enjoy it. And they don't inherently enjoy it. And it's becoming inherently accepted that doing something like this for someone who works that kind of job is a good thing to do for your health, your mental health, if you will. But it's also, I think, just as important for someone who has a job they really enjoy because there's a danger to getting so consumed by a job you really enjoy too because you never know you could get let go tomorrow that's true like it's not permanent and unless you have like real literal ownership like a substantial stake of ownership in what you're doing you can't you can't invest everything you got into it yeah i touched on that very very briefly um by saying that it's a privilege to work for someone else exactly. that's what a job is and and ownership is not making a hundred thousand dollars a year that's not ownership no i mean like literally having stock mm-hmm. not just like a few shares i mean like mm-hmm. a double digit percentage where you yourself are are like an actual asset to the company mm-hmm. versus being just a placeholder exactly so, so like if you're if you're one of five employees in a small business but you don't have any ownership it's not, you don't own anything. But if you're one of five employees in, in a small business, but you have a 10% stake, then you actually own something there. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's reason to like really contribute. Right. Because you are also being rewarded for for the gains mm-hmm. that that organization makes based on your effort too. Yeah. So it's, a lot of people I think throw away a lot of their life for a job that pays them well because they feel like they have ownership in that job even though they don't um and and if you do if you do work in a job that you really enjoy and you don't have significant ownership in that job say you work at like google you're a software engineer and you make 
$300,000 a year in San Francisco because that's what they do these days. Um, I don't think it's a good idea for you to turn that into 70-hour work weeks. You're not actually really being rewarded for that. Put in your really good 40 hours and give them, give them everything you got for those 40 hours and then and go home and then do something else for you. You know, build something with your hands, write a story. Uh, right. You know, and everyone does does work a little volunteer. differently. True, people do work work differently. Um for you're speaking my language. Like you're you're I mean, I I agree with you 150%. I do know that some people do just thrive in the competitive environment that is facilitated by corporate America where they would just love to do whatever it takes to be ahead of people in their immediate environment. I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm just saying some people actually like bleed that kind of mindset. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's the in sharks. them. It's innate. Yeah. Yeah. And they're right where they belong. But mm-hmm. but I, I would be bur- I would be burned out regardless of the salary I was making. I think there's there's a lot of people it's not they get stuck in the fact that they get comfortable with the structure. Mm. That's what is, to, at least to me, that's what's so appealing about corporate America is it's very structured. Oh, yeah. And so... You get 13 years of it. I'd, I'd be... I think I would be personally more happy working in a corporate job that has a lot of structure and boundaries than in a startup job in my field that has less structure, less boundaries, but more freedom. Cause in that startup job, you get more potentially more satisfaction out of your work, mm-hmm. but it can bleed into your life so much more. Oh, it's very, very volatile the lines cross, mm-hmm. you know, of course. And with a corporate job, I make decent money. I have a set schedule. I'm not working a ton of hours and I can put that boundary down and enforce it. And um, each hat is very clearly defined and tailored yeah, and to I can the compartmentalize position. it. Very, very, very. And, well, and they've done that. They, the company itself, has done that too. Mm-hmm. They've compartmentalized and they've assigned specific hats to specific people. Yeah. But I did want to say that on top of what you're what you're saying, um, I, I I just threw in that we've had the need for structure for 13 years. I'm referring to. Um, like traditional school settings. True. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would still be this way where I require the kind of structure that a corporate um, environment provides for me if I was schooled differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any kind of, but if you think about it, like, I just feel like, so you, you're a programmer. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for 10 years. Well, Here and there. If, if you want to go all the way back, then yeah, probably be back to like third, yeah, a little over ten years. We'll say a little over ten years, but um, but seriously, for five, four years, yeah, four, four, five, four years. Okay, in four years, you've been doing it pretty seriously. So I had three years, seriously three years, for three years, three years, and and those three years, albeit dedicated to this craft, have still had all the distractions of you know family and school and what have you. Okay. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because at the end of the day, you're where you're at now after three years, and you're a very different villain after three years. Okay. 
eight hours. Imagine eight hours for 13 years, almost. We'll say 80% of the year. 13 years. Yeah. I feel like that's all you know. True. At that point. It's because a, it's a huge component of your life. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't remember like all the subject matter in school, but you know what it's like to sit and be in a structured yeah, to environment be regimented, yeah. and to have a boss being a, t- being a teacher. True. You know what I mean? So I, I just, yeah, I think, I think the main, the main point for me is for people who are listening, if you are scared of pursuing something creative because it doesn't have the structure, don't be like, it's healthy for you to get out of that structure every now and again. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a good way. The structure is a good way to enforce a certain amount of security in your life. And there is a danger to not having structure because our human mind is only built to handle so much stress and a lack of structure creates a lot of stress. So the beauty of corporate America is you can spend a, big chunk of your day in structure which doesn't drain you the same way and then for the rest of your day you can spend that unstructured and in that unstructured time you can do something that's meaningful to you uh, and recharge in a sense you recharge your creativity recharge the other areas of your life that are important to you maybe it's not creativity maybe it's service you know maybe it's going out and doing stuff for people Um, you know maybe it's I don't know, activism or whatever is important to you. Mm-hmm. you know, everyone has their own thing. But you get to explore that and get out of your routine so you don't become stale because that's the the flip side to structure. Yes, it's low stress, but it also becomes stale. And that becomes a problem eventually. And it is definitely important to bust, bust your ass um, at work um, just so that you can keep work at work yes you know what i mean it is important to have discipline i'm realizing that now as i get older you know blending blending your energy and efforts at work versus outside of work is dangerous you remember when i was working Mm. you know at my at my previous employer i take work home all the time i mean i yeah no you you know and i just kind of you did were, it whenever floating a little bit yeah floating and it's because i knew i could get away with you know this kind of behavior and yeah but at the end of the day even though i didn't think it was a problem it was still like chipping away at my like it was a problem at my, yeah at my health bar energy yeah. health bar right <laughs> so it's not like i could ever suddenly empty out like that energy bar if you will on something outside of work because i was never at 100 percent. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean and like that adds up after a couple of years. Yes. That's a lot of wasted potential. I mean, that's it's actually a very similar experience to the job that I just left. Um, for those listening, I am starting a new job in a few days here. Um, but the one that I left, part of a big part of the problem was we didn't have enough work to do, and so I'd only have two hours of work during the day to do, on average, maybe three, probably closer to two. And this had been going on for months and months. And then there were short periods interstitially where um, where we had a lot of stuff to do for, for a little like sprint, you know, a few weeks, a month. We'd have a lot of stuff to do. And then we'd be back to the doldrums of having very little to do. 
um, and it got particularly worse towards the end, but no, that's really neither here nor there. So I find myself at work with a lot of extra time and it was very stressful because I didn't know what to use that time on. And it didn't help that I also had, you know, some people were spying on me and reporting my behaviors to my boss, which is not a good sign of good culture, but it's a different point. But like, I'd be inclined to like work on my app. So like, at least I'm doing something productive, right? And I get to make some progress on something that's important to me. And it's related to the work I do. Like it's still the same skill set. So I'm still keeping that sharp. But like, I, it just didn't feel right. Like I couldn't like, I tried to do it, but like I couldn't like really get into it the same way as when I'm at home or I like go to a coffee shop and just plug in for two hours. Like I, I didn't have the same feeling there. I never got into flow. You know, I never dropped in like that because I couldn't, um, because I wanted work to be like work. Like I'm here, let's do work and then leave. And then I can do everything else I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's so stru- much more comfortable it's a stru- structure that you're longing for. And they own your time. They yeah. being your employer while you're there. I understand you. There's almost a sense of guilt if you want to do things outside of work. At, oh, there work. very much was a sense of guilt. Yeah. Even though it's not your fault. It's not, it's completely out of my control. Yeah. There's only so much work that our team would have. Yep. And ultimately I left because I could just couldn't handle it anymore. Right. I mean, aside the, aside of the fact that, you know, not having enough work at work is stressful in the sense that you want to be able to focus on work there. Um, it's also incredibly uh, discouraging because you personally, you, because um, I've known you for six years, I mean, you want to progress. Yes. Like you want to become better at what you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if, if a year more of seniority at your previous employer means anything to you um it's one thing but it doesn't you know for you i feel like you having three years at a company versus five years doesn't really mean much unless you are a different villain you know after yeah. those said two years exactly because like, you want to be you want to be a better version another, of yourself another year at that company I, w- I wouldn't have grown at all that's what i'm saying you want growth yeah. you don't just want the seniority on paper i understand and in moving i moved to a higher position anyway right i got my growth in moving anyway yeah, and it sounds like, it sounds like, you know, uh, this new employer is is going to be an awesome, you know, big step for you. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. I definitely liked the team when I was there, and I had a friend who works there, so that's always a good sign. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So you know, for me, for me, what I'm really hoping to get out of it is, I get back to having work to do at work. And really being able to do a good job and grow there in that structured time. And then that structured time also providing me with a comfortable income that I can then turn around and do stuff like this with. You know, because the podcast cost me $1,500, $1,600 to start. Um, And, you know, if you include a couple of the other things I bought along the way, like I had to get a new external hard drive because the first one failed. That was like $120, something like that. Um, so if you add it all up, it's maybe 1600, 1700 ish. Uh, that's no small amount of money. That's a significant amount for, for a lot of people. It's an entire month's paycheck. Right. You also bought, um, a chair and you may want to make improvements along the way. Oh, that's true. If I throw the furniture in that I've 
done to store the stuff that I got. Oh, that too. Then yeah, we're actually closer to two thousand then. And that's just for now. I mean, you have like a, a viable setup, but yeah. as, as I mean, as we progress, there may be other things that you spot that you want to improve upon. Yeah, it just I comes mean, with the territory. At some point, I'll also buy a fourth mic setup. Yep, and that's another three hundred fifty or whatever. Yep. So, you know, being able to do stuff like this or consider funding a web series, I can only do that because I have a good job, and so. For me, what's important with my job is that it is, it's able to support those activities mm. and provide me with the structure and growth that I want while I'm there. Right. Because I don't want to hate my hours there. I don't have to love them, but I don't want to hate them. And for me, just feeling that progression is enough. Yeah. Aside from the income, like actually feeling like you're doing something for yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's the growth. That's because, where the growth comes in. Because I'm not deluded into thinking I have any ownership over the work that I'll be doing. Right. But you have ownership over the better version of yourself when you leave. That's Yeah, exactly. So, I have ownership over all the growth that happens yeah, that you along attained. the way. Exactly. Yes, so. 100%. And so um, I think for me career-wise, I've been, in a lot of ways, I've been fortunate in that I can focus on that. Mm. And I can, I've built my life around that. And it's a mix of fortune and it's also intentional. I've spent... I spent a considerable amount of time thinking over these questions and these problems in my mind. How am I going to be creative in my life? How am I going to fit that in? How am I going to enjoy my job? You know, how am I going to put myself in a position where I say that I am happy to go to work in the morning? You know, especially now when my commute's going to go up. So I'm going to be waking up fairly early and I'm not really a normal person or a normal person, a morning person. I'm not normal. I agree with that too. (laughs) Uh, But uh, certainly not a morning person. Um, so I've thought a lot about like how, what do I need for that to be okay with me? And because it, it has to be to live a happy life. You know, you can't live a happy life if you hate your job. You also can't live a happy life if you hate everything outside your job. You need to like both. You need to like the job you're doing at least enough to get you there. And then you need to like the life you live outside of your job to not become a workaholic and spend all your time at work. So two areas, you know, and I still have areas to improve on for sure. But I personally feel I have made a lot of progress in these areas and in building a lot more balance into my life and, and making myself happier at the end of the day. I think this podcast is a huge part of it. You know, going out and doing a creative endeavor like this, this is it's so core, so central to my personality that I think has really made a very positive impact. On Not only is it a, just in a general sense, a healthy outlet, it's also complementary um, to your work environment because what you bring to the table here is very, is vastly different than what's expected of you at work. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's yes. a, that kind of provides a wholesomeness if that yeah. makes sense. Like you're not, you're not like withholding aspects of yourself. And that's mm-hmm. what, and that's something for the audience too. Yeah, you know? that's the other thing is if you, because you're only going to express part of yourself at work. You need to express the rest of it right. somewhere. And work work also could mean child rearing too. That's work too. Yeah. There's a lot of stay-at-home moms that raise their kids and don't do much else. Mm-hmm. And that's really dangerous. That's, yeah. Even though, you know, on paper it's a healthy outlet to take care of your family and indirectly that is you know a return to yourself at the end of the day you are an individual and you have needs mm-hmm. you know and taking care of yourself 
is not satisfied by going to the spa once a month and watching Netflix every night. Exactly. That's not taking care of yourself. Exactly. That's temporarily dulling the needs. It's escapism. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, interestingly enough, um, Bert Kreischer, who's a fairly popular comedian, fairly well-off comedian. He's doing very well for himself. His wife started a podcast last year and she's on like 90 episodes. So actually she's approaching two years. Two years now, yeah, because she has, I think, one a week. Um, and she was just a stay-at-home mom, basically. And she helped him out, too. She's kind of an assistant. He has an assistant, too, but she supplements that mm-hmm. because there's other work to do outside of normal assistant hours. Um, but she, they did a podcast together because he has one with this guy who is a um, behavioral psychologist or something like that. And he has created this uh in-depth personality quiz to explore how you express yourself and like what makes you comfortable or calm and how you like expend energy and stuff like that and how you regain energy there's a few i don't i don't know i didn't look too deeply into it but is it kind of similar to meyer briggs sort of but it's uh it's deeper it tries to be more nuanced mm-hmm. and it's more about I think it's primarily focused around like the energy flow of your life. Oh, okay, cool. So it's not so much about like your personality type, although it's intrinsically related to personality. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she, when he read hers, he could immediately tell that she was, she took care of everyone else first before herself. Um, he also picked up that she had childhood trauma, which she did raised by a narcissistic mother, which is challenging. Um, I can only imagine that I was fortunate enough not to be in that situation. Um, and so she, he picked up on these things about her and she, like it brought her to tears. She's like, I'm not doing anything with my life. And like, I'm actually pretty unhappy. And that caused her to sit back and think. And she started this podcast as a result of it. And she says that it has totally revitalized her life. And it's the only, it's pretty much the only thing she does differently Right, she just added this thing to her life, and it only takes. She's only spending so many hours on it a week. You know, they have they hire someone to mm-hmm. run the podcast itself, so she doesn't do any of the production. So she only spends maybe a few hours between recording and then lining up people to talk to, and preparing for them. Um, but just for those few hours, it made a profound difference in her quality right. of life, and that's what I'm saying is you don't have to be at a place where you're financially independent. You don't have to be at a place where you have a ton of time because even if you can only give yourself one, two, three hours a week, that can be enough to make a profound difference in your life. Yeah. It's just consistency. Yeah. At the end of the day, consistency definitely takes you places. Yeah. So those, those two, those two, three hours a week turn into 90 episodes in under two years. Yeah. So 90 episodes is a lot, that's by insane. the way. Yeah, that's like top point oh 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 one percent podcast. And you know? how long are her they're, episodes? They're around an hour to an hour and a half usually, I think. Maybe two hours. Yeah, so, I mean, so she's, she has almost, you know, 200, 150, 200 uh, hours worth of content. Yeah. It's a lot. It's insane. Yeah, so. So that's, that's I just, I really want to stress that to the audience. It's like, if you got a couple hours, that's all you need. Right. And I guarantee you, you can find two hours a week. I guarantee you. There's almost no exceptions to that rule. 
Mm-hmm. Two hours a week is nothing. It's a, a what is it? Seven times twenty-four is one hundred and forty plus twenty-eight hundred sixty-eight hours. So two out of one hundred and sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. That's I'll do the math real quick. What are you trying to do? Like percentage-wise? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. It's point one one percent, or no, one point one percent, one point two percent of your week. Right? Yeah. Point oh oh yeah, one point two percent of your week. That's nothing. That's nothing at all. Even if you're you have kids to take care of, I get it. When they go to sleep, you got a little bit of time. Or if you're, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom, you got time while they're gone during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, or. Uh, you know, you have a career, you get home, you have time after the career, or you wake up early and do it before you leave for work. Yeah. And by the way, uh, again, I mean, two hours a week, you could lump that into, you know, hour or two hour blocks, however you want to structure it, whenever you get the chance. True. You could also just take a two two hour chunk on a Saturday. Yeah. Or it could be 15 to 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Like up to you. Just, just make it happen. Um, and it could be anything from, that thing or that hobby you always wanted to invest in, that idea or that creative venture that you wanted to start, or that language that you thought about learning and you decided to take a you know a weekly class or something. Yep. I mean, just 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 get out there and do something for yourself, and just do it for yourself. It doesn't have to you know bring any immediate return, and then after so much time you'll see what consistency can really do you'll surprise yourself in like the most pleasant of ways so yeah it's kind of a great reminder what confidence and consistency really consistency really looks like you know for an individual so yeah 100 percent. i mean even something trivial like weightlifting for me which is you well, know that's pr- not really trivial for you let's be honest. right but it's a prim you know it's a, it's primitive behavior um you Pick up weights and you drop them. Yeah. It's primitive. It's pick up weights, drop them. There's no, 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 you know, no intellectualism about that. But I will say that if I distill my years of expenditure on the hobby, I will say without a doubt it brought confidence in the sense of, um, in the sense of the fact that I know what it feels like to work on something for an extensive period of time, and be able to continue with working on that thing even when there's no sign of linear progression. So when you have those hurdles, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, I'm sure, uh, what was the wife's name? It doesn't matter. Uh, Leanne. Right. I'm sure at some point she was thinking, what am I doing? You know, whatever, episode 15, episode, you know what I mean? Like, Probably. You know, but she kept going. She stuck with it. I have. For you, this podcast, right? You're this well, is, see. I'll I'll give you a story. Um, my first external hard drive that I was using for the podcast, which I had owned for a few years, um, got corrupted somehow at some point, and as a result, in on two separate occasions, I ended up losing an entire podcast. Just the recording gone. Right, you lost one with us. I lost one with us, and I lost one with Curtis. And that last one stung really bad because that was a really good one. Right, told me. I was like, I was really happy with it and I lost it. You even told me you were just... And I had to tell him that I lost it. Which is awful. Which sucks. Thankfully, he wants to do another one, but um, but because of that, it literally, I literally stopped working on this for yeah, two you, weeks. Yeah, you told me yourself that like it discouraged you and it, it made, you know, it, it, 
it made the motivation to to like ed- editing just really tough. Exactly. Yeah. It so. just took it took all my motivation away. Yeah. And so that's why there was a a three week break. Earlier? Was was it? I think it was less. No, it was pretty consistent. Oh, okay. Uh, here, I'll I'll look it up, but uh, I think it was three weeks. Uh, let's see, host of episodes. Uh, we went from September 25th mm. to October 15th. So 20 days, uh, which is three weeks. Um, so it happens, but then I got back and I started doing it again. Right. I licked my wounds and I was like, all right, time to get back to it. And then we started recording some new ones and they've been some of the best ones so far. Yep. So... It, uh, you know, there'll be those moments and the key, you know, there's that cliche quote. It's not about falling down. It's about getting up, getting up. Yeah. I didn't want to say it, but 5,000 different ways it's been said. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is when you do something like this for yourself, um, there will be times where you stumble doubt and there will be doubt and that's your brain trying to make you stop because you're making yourself a little uncomfortable even though the discomfort is good for you in the long run? I've I've actually always, and I can't imagine this being um, an original quote, but I, I did uh, conceive it myself or think I did. Uh-huh. I used to say... I have a few of those. Yeah, I, I used to say when I was younger that your body doesn't want you to thrive. It wants to survive. Yeah. That so, should be a quote. Yeah, one. it rhymes, you know? Yeah. I got it like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, just what you're saying, I mean, if you ever want to do something great for yourself, discomfort is almost always a prerequisite. Oh, and, and the key here, I think what makes it, what you, you have to think about it in a way that you want to position yourself as close to success as you can. And there are two ways to do that. You can reposition yourself and what you're doing, change how you're doing things. Or you can reposition success. Because mm-hmm. success is not something someone else determines. You determine what yeah. your success is going to be for you. Yep. Which is why I think doing something just for you is so powerful. Because then there's no stakes at all. True. Then if you run into doubt or problems, you just be like, it doesn't matter. There's no stakes here. I have literally nothing to lose. So I might as well just keep doing it. Yep. In this case, I there is some stakes because I'm making this public. This is going out to people and they're listening to it. And if there is a three week break, they might notice, you know, so there, there are stakes for me for this podcast, but that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with those stakes. But if you are new to doing something like this and you've, you've never done a creative endeavor or a service endeavor or anything like that, or you've done it very rarely and you're not, not sure you're unsure of yourself, you're uncomfortable then doing it just for you is so powerful because you have nothing to prove to anyone. You're the only critic you have to satisfy and you can make yourself as easy or harsh of a critic as you want. So you can change the parameters of success and then you can achieve it and feel good about it. And then you can maybe make it a little harder for yourself if you want to and achieve that and then make it a little harder and achieve that. It's like if you're just writing, say you're writing short stories for yourself no one else is going to read them. You just write, you write one. You say your success is I want to write a two page short story. That's your success marker. And if you write your two page success or your story, your two page story, you've succeeded. It doesn't have to be good. 
you know, because no one else is reading it. You're not taking up anyone else's time. You're just taking up your own. And then your next marker is, I want to write a a three-page story or a five-page story, right? And you achieve that and you feel really good about it. And you're like, okay, I want to do another five-page story, but I want to tackle something new, a new theme. Or like I want to start incorporating more imagery. I want to start, um, I want to try writing a story from a different perspective, a first-person perspective instead of a third-person perspective. I want to try writing a story where I break the fourth wall a bunch, like try out a style, you know, and you just like try these new things, do these new, new things for yourself. And you can be spending an hour, two hours a week, maybe three hours a week writing a story a week, you know, or a story every other week or whatever. And this is where, uh, like, you know, a distillation of what Millen's talking about is having a goal and being able to visualize a goal. Yeah. And most importantly that you are 100% in control of your goal. Right. And so you can make it hard for yourself or you can make it easy. Mm -hmm. And I really recommend making it easy. That's my problem. Yeah. That's, that's my problem. I create like uh, it's my problem too. Yeah. I'm inclined to make hard goals. Right. Yeah. I, I find this, I've, I've found this in almost every area of my life. You know, for for instance, with writing, it's something I really enjoy doing. Something I get I get um, satisfaction out of doing, but I have a really hard time writing small things, <laughs> like just writing something to finish it. Yes, I have such a hard time with that. I always want to be like, but how can I like make this better and bigger? You know, I take like a story, like I took a I wrote a film script, which in itself is a pretty big undertaking. And then I had to go ahead and turn it into a shared universe, (laughs) like with a bunch of other ideas that sink into it somehow. Like I couldn't just leave it there, you know? Uh, So I have the same problem. And if you find yourself doing that, uh, good luck. Uh, It's not easy to overcome those uh, innate desires, but it is possible. And it's worth it. Yeah. The times where I have just sat down and finished something for the sake of finishing it have been amazing. Masochism aside, baby steps are crucial sometimes. Yeah. So like years ago, this was when I was still pursuing video game design. Um, you know, obviously I kept having these big ideas. It's like, I can't do this. Like this is too much. Mm-hmm. So I just scaled it back and said, you know what? I'm going to create an environment in unreal using assets from their projects, like basically how I started doing this. Um, and I'm just going to do this in five days. I'm going to just give myself five days to build an environment in Unreal. That's what I did. It turned out really great. I loved it. I was very proud of the project. I felt really good about it. And that that's all I did. I, I forced myself to keep the scope super small. It's really small. It's not a big environment. It's not a gameplay level. It's just for visuals alone. And it's a very small space. Like I didn't go, didn't go very big with it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I do. It's actually on my personal YouTube channel, but um, I can show it to you afterwards if you want. Cool, definitely. So, like that kind of stuff. That's that's how you that's how you do it. You have to just force yourself to to keep it small in order to make progress. Um. 
All right, well, I think we can pretty much end it here. We're, we're at about an hour and a half. Uh, unless you have any other thoughts to add. That's it for me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, keep an eye out for the final few episodes of the season. Um, and then if you want to follow me on Twitter, you'll get updates on when season two is coming out. Uh, like I said, there will be a break. So anticipate two or three weeks, probably three weeks break between seasons as we create our lineup and prepare the next season yeah and then we'll be back and better than ever so uh until next week thank you for listening to this week's episode of spyfy after dark i hope you're as excited for the changes to the podcast as we are Next week, we talk to my friend Hans, a coding instructor at a local technical high school, about the future of tech education and more. If you'd like to be notified of that episode, you can follow me on Twitter at MillenTweets. That's M-I-L-L-A-N Tweets. And don't forget to rate and or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. We'll see you next week.